So Nebuchadnezzar, you go by the name of Nebel, you go on a god who's not a god, Bel. So you take Daniel, you put him in the land of Babylon, and what do you do? You give him the name of a foreign god that he has to wear every single day. He can serve the Most High God, but here he is every single day having to bear the name of another God, a God that he doesn't believe in, he doesn't serve, he doesn't touch. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, this word that came to Daniel. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. And then we'll move on. We'll catch up to this text in a second. We can pause for a second, because what's happening? This word has come to Daniel. He's heard about something that's happening, a word from the Lord. It might be news of unrest. Jason would probably know better than me. I tried to study it and figure it out. I don't know what the word is, but it might be a word of, of, of how hard it is for those who are being sent back to Jerusalem now, where the city is broken, the walls are broken. They're basically prey for any surrounding peoples. It might be words of war, famine, whatever it is, uh, or just a word from the Lord, but whatever it is, he's in conflict over it. And this conflict actually drives Daniel into a place of what? Waiting. Into a place of prayer. Something is not right. And so Daniel, who by this time is a very uh, old man, he's actually... We're not quite sure, but he would have been 80-ish when he was thrown in his, he would have been in the 80s when he was thrown in the lion's den. Remember that a few chapters back? So we don't know how old he is now, but he's getting up there. And this man is waiting in prayer, and here's what he's doing. He was mourning. He was eating no delicacies, no meat or wine. He did not anoint himself, right? They weren't taking baths with like Pert Plus back then. It was you'd anoint yourself with oil. He's not anointed, so he's in the royal courts, but he's looking like just a mess because he's trying to indicate to everyone else and he's trying to indicate mainly to his own spirit, hey, something is wrong. There is conflict within me and I need to deal with my God on this thing. On the 24th day, as he's standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, we don't know why he's standing down by the river. I don't know if he's just like really kind of beat up and tired and hungry at that point and just like staring at the river, or if it's actually like a little pilgrimage he might have made with some of the other Jews there down to the river to pray as they long for this place that they want to return to. So Daniel by the river, Daniel, Daniel 70 years in exile. Remember, he was taken when Nebuchadnezzar took Israel. He was taken out of that land as a young man, a teenager, maybe in his 20s. And for 70 years, he's been serving king after king faithfully in this place. But he's been longing to go back to the palm trees, you could say. He's been longing to go back home. All he has seen in these years, imagine, he's been surrounded by people who do not know his God, who worship pagan gods, people who would mock his God even. And now he is over some conflict, mourning in this period of waiting. Waiting at this point kind of fits the life of Daniel. It's probably one of the key words for who Daniel is in this book as we see him. It reminds me of us in a place of praying, in a place of waiting, because the appearance would be that Daniel's prayers have not been heard. For 70 years, he's probably been praying to go home. And we know from Jeremiah, the prophet, that there was a prophecy that they'd have to be there 70 years. We know that this was in Scripture. But still, you have to believe that by faith and wait and long. And we know that Daniel never actually saw his homeland again. I mean, that's the impression we get from Scripture. He never actually went home. He lived his entire life in this foreign country, 
serving foreign gods, under certain foreign kings, under foreign gods. So go back to your prayer request, the thing you're waiting on. There can be an appearance that that prayer is not heard. And that's really a challenge or an indictment of the God who should be hearing your prayer. Psalm 42.3 says this. and put it up on the screen. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? How many times might Daniel have heard something like that? And will you ever be in a place like this? I believe we'll all have moments in our life where we will be waiting. I don't know if you're a crier or not. I'm not. I wish I was more of a crier. Maybe the Lord will stop me. I'm becoming more of one with kids now. But my tears have been my food day and night. He's saying, I'm in a place of mourning. I'm longing for something. This is the psalmist writing by the Holy Spirit within him. While they say to me, the people around me say to me all day long, where is your God? What does the culture say to you today? Where is your God? Who is your God and who cares about his rules? The Bible, bogus, written by men, regardless, who cares? Prayer, what's it doing for you? The coming of Jesus, the second coming? Oh, you mean the thing that they've been waiting on all this time? Where is your God? It's also Satan, something Satan would love to whisper in your ear as you wait on God for the things that you wait on privately. So talking about waiting in prayer, I want to talk about two things that change this totally, for me at least. The first one is this. There are greater things at work. I think sometimes we've got to consider the context of prayer. Right? We just talked about the conflict of prayer, this conflict within you. Things are not as they should be. I'm longing, I'm looking, I'm waiting. But there's also a context, right? Like when you're driving your car and you're talking to God as you're driving and the radio's on and the other cars are passing you and you're trying to stay in your lane and you're five minutes late or five minutes, that's all context, right? As you're by your bedside and the day's about to begin and there's things to come and maybe for me the kids are like waking up and yelling or actually if I'm honest the kids have already been up and mom's been up with them and now I'm finally joining the party. But that's my context, right? Or maybe you're in a hospital room. There's a diagnosis you are facing or there's someone that you love and you're standing there with them. That is the context of your prayer. You catching? You tracking? But there's also more context. There are greater things at work. We like to think linear about things because linear is easy, right? Like, how do I get from here to West Melbourne? I want the most direct route. Google's got me or Apple Maps. It'll get me there. Or one of you, if you're of a generation, if you're uh, similar to my dad, maybe, you might tell me take a left here and a right here and a left here. I won't remember any of it. I'm a Google Maps guy. But anyways, you're trying to take the route to get you there. We're linear. And so we can think linear about prayer. A to B. I say the prayer. God hears it. It's like being at the grocery store when I was a little kid and I just had to put the quarter in and turn and out came this little piece of garbage that I was like, thanks, Mom. You know, I was like so excited about the gumball or whatever it was. Linear. That's how we think. But actually prayer, the reality, the context of prayer is layered. It's not linear. It's layered. There are layers of things at work here. If we read verse 12, I want you to hear this. We're going to read some other verses too that will help us understand greater things at work. But Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 says it this way. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. What does that tell you? 
tells you that Daniel prayed, God heard, and then an angel was sent, which implies distance. I have come, right? Somehow, through the spiritual realms, this angel was dispatched by God. So there's this immediate reality. That's the context that we maybe need to recognize, and this will inspire faith in us. The immediate reality is that Daniel prayed, and immediately what happened? Daniel's talking. He's sitting there in his room. He's got the, the uh, shutters open. Maybe there's a breeze off the, off the water, or I don't know anything about Babylon anyways, but there's something going on. He's in this context, but actually, where are his words landing? In the heavenlies, before the Most High God. And what is happening? Immediately things are going into motion. This is crazy. This is not the God of philosophers. This is not the God of like abstraction. This is a real God who is involved in our lives. Involved in this broken, messed up world. But it is part of his purposes that he is working out over all the time. So immediately it's heard. And immediately an angel is dispatched. That's the immediate context. But again, put Daniel in context. 70 years of exile. He's been talking to this God for 70 years, at least. I don't know when he learned to pray. I'm hoping it was like, you know, in his 40s or 50s so that I still have some hope of becoming like a good prayer. But at some point, he's learning to really wait on God. We know that he had a rhythm of prayer that he would not compromise. That's why he was thrown into the, into the lion's den. So the context of prayer is decades of prayer at this point for Daniel. He is accustomed to talking to this God. And here he is getting an answer, finding out that the moment he says it, it's heard in the heavenlies and things start in motion. But think of the bigger context. How about the promises made to the patriarchs, to the fathers? David is of the royal family. Right? So think of like your grandpa and papa, mima, whatever, you know, like think of who your grandparents are and who their grandparents were and who their grandparents. If you go far enough back for Daniel, his grandparent, great, 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 would have been David. He's from the royal house of David. Remember God's uh, promises to David, your house will never be broken, your throne will last forever. So this promise that had been made to uh, Daniel's patriarch, to our patriarch, to this king, telling him that the throne will never be broken, well, here Daniel is sitting on a broken, in a broken city, looking back to the broken land where the throne has been broken, and he's wondering what's going on. Look at the bigger context. There's the promises to Jacob, the patriarch of Israel. There's the promises to Abraham, the man that God called his friend. All of this is in front of God all the time. He's listening to your prayer, believer. I'm not speaking to someone who, who doesn't know Jesus or who is not interested in God and, and is kind of like, well, it's going to work out in the end. I'm talking about a believer in Jesus Christ who has taken on the forgiveness that is offered and has received it and said, yes, amen, now what? And now your words go right to the throne of God. They pull on his heart because you call him what now? Father, Papa, Abba. The spirit cries out. There's like instant tears even just thinking about it. You speak to the father. He hears you. But he's got all these things in front of him. He's got the promises that he made to Abraham 3,000 years ago. And that's not like 3,000 years ago to him. That's yesterday. He's outside of time. He's right there. He says, yep, I know, but I'm working something out that I told Abraham I'd do. And I'm working out what happened in that garden. And I'm working out what's to come in 10 years and 20 years. I'm working out all of redemption history. I have so many things to manage, and I love you greatly. I will work this in, though. Don't you feel unheard? Don't you think that this has gone without an answer? There's one more layer, though, at least one more. 
And this is one that I don't think I ever think about like I should. This is the one that Daniel 10 confronts us with. It's one of the chapters of the Bible that just doesn't fit the way we think about the universe. Let's read this. Verses, uh, I think we got 8 through 13, if we can throw those up on the screen. Got it? Prince of the kingdom of Persia, where are we at? Fear not, Daniel. Okay, we'll just read here. Fear not, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Keep going. We already read that. Here's the next verse. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Keep going. Now we're at verse 20. Then he said, do you, not know, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. You know what this is talking about? You want to say it? One, two, three. What's this talking about? Angels. One, two, three. Angels. So what's going on? What's the context of prayer? Angels. If there's angels, what else is at work? Demons. Fallen things. Heavenly things that we would fall on our face and worship if we encountered these. And this is crazy. It doesn't fit our abstract, linear view of prayer and of God. Because evidently, the prayer was heard. The angel was dispatched. You know, why does God work this way? Why doesn't he just blast history and start over? But here he is working through this broken history that we formed for ourselves. The angel is dispatched. And who is able to stand up to God's archangel for this time? Evidently, some angel, fallen, evil creature, spiritual force that is over Persia at the time. This is crazy. Like, were they fighting with swords? Were they like rap, dance, battle? I don't know what they were doing, but there was something going down between the prince of Persia, the, the god that is actually behind all these, uh, all these false Persian, Babylonian, other gods. There's actual forces at work. And he was able to withstand God's messenger until another baddie, Mark, archangel, shows up, Michael, and helps him. And that's the only reason that this guy was able to come. And he says, Daniel, I need you to know this. I was sent three weeks ago, but I got held up in traffic. And, like, the dude had a sword, and I, like, didn't have my sword because I was just commuting. And so Michael showed up in the Humvee, praise the Lord. And so then I, like, drove around. I'm here now. But I actually got to go back and fight against him again. And now the Prince of Greece is coming, who's an even more a big baddie. So just FYI. Let me tell you what I got to tell you, and then I got to get moving. And Daniel's like, I didn't know it worked this way. And we're like, we didn't know it worked this way. I thought I snapped my fingers, God snapped his, and then the thing happened. That's why I'm so annoyed that I've been waiting in what? Prayer. Why doesn't God just do the thing? First of all, sometimes because we don't know what to ask for, we ask for the wrong things. Amen? I am in the midst of raising a family, and I am in the midst of a whole bunch of friendships, and I'm in the midst of uh, trying to buy a house, I'm in the midst of being a pastor, and I'm pretty sure I do the wrong thing like 70% of the time, and I'm asking God to support the project, you know? God's like, okay, you know, we'll work with this, like, work in progress. 
But then there's also the fact that there's spiritual realities going on that are way above us. Can you put Ephesians 6? This is the other end of the Bible now. Paul trying to say, hey, I want you to know the context. The context is that we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Against what? So there is no human being who you actually truly wrestle against in the final sense. I mean, it could be someone who mocks you in school. Could be, if you're in college, a professor who made you feel like an idiot for, like, believing things out of the Bible. It could be someone who is, like, letting their branches overgrow your yard, and it's your neighbor, and you've known them for 20 years, and you can't stand them. But we don't actually wrestle against any human being in the final sense. Here's what we wrestle against. The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, Prince of Iran, Prince of uh, Russia, Ukraine, Prince of the U.S., who are these forces that are at work in any nation, any country, any time in history? We don't know this stuff, but we're supposed to wake up to it a little bit and recognize that we, measly little humans, are in the midst of it, praying our little prayers. And we're like, Lord, I pray that I get the right flavor of bubblegum toothpaste at the dentist today. The Lord's like, all right, man, you could have prayed bigger prayers, but I'll try to work on that for you. We're also like, Lord, heal my mom. And he's like, okay, I know I'm working on it. There's a lot of other things to attend to, but I hear you. The answer is coming. What chance do we have if this is the context of prayer? Jackie Hale Perry said it this way, if you want to put up that quote. This, this was on Twitter the other day. I'm not saying that the devil and demons are hiding under every rock or lurking behind every corner, but they will put their greasy little hands on whatever they can access. If that's your private computer life, they'll put their hands on that. If it's your kid, they'll put their hands on that. If it's your anger, temper, and, and when you drive your car with North Dakota plates, I don't know who that is, but you know, if that's what it is, they'll put their hands on it. If it's not your Sunday morning, they're probably okay with that. They'll get you another time. God forbid you forget you have a real enemy, enemy actively working to destroy you and everything you touch. Does waiting in prayer matter, potentially? You catching a glimpse of this? Any of you who have served in any kind of armed combat, military service, who have that heightened sense of situational awareness, anyone who's been a law enforcement officer or something like that, to have someone who actually wants to destroy you. Right? Like, I've encountered it uh, on the street a couple times, but like most of my life has not been lived in that reality. Evidently, our entire lives are lived in that reality. Waiting in prayer. What chance do we have? Well, there's one more thing to talk about, which is the greatest thing. This is the most beautiful line I think I'd have heard out of Scripture, one of my favorite little things, and it was sitting here waiting for me in Daniel chapter 10. You can put verse 11 up there. Daniel chapter 10, the greatest thing. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, oh sorry, verse 8, you can skip ahead to verse, uh, verse 11. He said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, he mentions it again just a few verses later. 
This is how he addresses Daniel. So does anyone have a dad or a mom? What do you call them? Dad or mom? Evidently, when God addressed Daniel, this is what he called him. Can you go to the next verse, verse 19, I think it is? And he said, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. I mean, we hear that and we're like, sure, that's Daniel, because he waited for 70 years in prayer. Okay, but he was a work in progress like all of us. Like, what got him to this point where when angel shows up, the angel's like, oh, you're the one that God really desires. You're the one that God loves immensely. You're the one who is actually a treasure to God. That's another way you could translate that. Oh, man, treasured. Oh, man, precious to God. There's a sense of desire in the word that is translated there. Oh, man, desired by God. Oh, woman who is the treasure of God's heart. And again, I hear that, I'm like, man, maybe someday, like someday I'll have prayed enough, someday I'll have uh, like been in church enough, someday I'll, I'll be on top of my anger issues, someday I'll like have been a better husband, someday maybe I'll have done a good enough job with my kids, someday I won't be a failure as a friend, whatever it is. Someday I will spend more time enjoying the Lord's presence and then he'll be able to say to me, oh man, greatly loved. Can you put up the Charles Spurgeon quote? It's a couple of slides forward. Child of God, he's talking to you. Do you hesitate to appropriate this title? And has your unbelief made you forget that you are greatly beloved too? Must you not have been greatly beloved to have been bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot? Now if there is such love between God and us, let us live in the influence and sweetness of it and use the privilege of our position. Do not let us approach our Lord as though we are strangers or as though we are here unwilling to hear us, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubtings of thine own heart, thou art greatly beloved. If you are wrestling against spiritual powers and you have weapons that can tear down strongholds and destroy enemies, if you have the ear of the Father, what's the best thing Satan could do to you? Convince you that you don't have the ear of the Father. Convince you that you don't have weapons. Or maybe not convince you, maybe just convince you that it's not worth your time. Or my time. In fact, prayer breaks things. Prayer heals things. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer is who we are and it's what we're invited into. And frankly, we are formed in prayer. The person of prayer is formed in waiting on God. Who you are is formed in this space that you spend with God. So if you want to learn something with, from Daniel, I spent 25 years waiting on palm trees. I'll, I'll be honest. I like was waiting the whole time. But guess what? I'm here now and there's palm trees everywhere. Was it a big deal that I waited? It wasn't. Daniel waited 70 years and he never saw a home. But he's in heaven now. What is waiting? It is literally where you meet with God. So if we can learn something from Daniel today, I know I went way over on time, but if you learn something from Daniel, number one, number two, number three, first, be aware of Babylon. Be aware that there are gods, be aware that there are demons, there are angels, there are crazy things, and this is not your home. This church building is not your home. Your home somewhere is not your home. Your apartment or the house you live in, the nation of the U.S., Florida, whatever it is, is not actually your home. And the more that we make peace with it and make it our home, the less we're probably going to wait on God. 
So recognize Babylon. Be aware of Babylon. Start to choose the hard things. Second, be loved. Like, that is not something that you have to work for. It's something you get to be as a child of God, a forgiven person. Be loved. Be secure in Christ. Like, approach his throne. You guys remember the song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone? What does it say? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. So dress up today. Put his righteousness on. It's not your righteousness. It's his. Put it on like a garment and then stand faultless before his throne and ask him for what you need. Ask him for what your family needs. Ask him for what your country or your church needs. Ask him for what the nations need. Finally, wait in prayer. This is something that I'm working on right now, and I tell you, it's beaten me up more than almost anything else I've done in my life. Because to sit in the mundane, in the quiet, in the silence, in the boredom of waiting on God, it does not light any fireworks. It does not like, like fill me up with the juicy, immediate satisfaction most of the time. What it does is it starts to expose what's in me, and it exposes me to a God who sees me. But this is what Daniel did. He humbled himself in prayer. He sought to understand. And he spent three weeks just for this one prayer waiting on God. And he got the answer that he did. So I get that we don't know how we ought to pray. It's true. We don't know where to go with prayer. We don't know what to pray for. But we are invited into this crazy layered reality of prayer. And in that waits for you things that you and I can't even imagine, things that we've barely even started to scratch the surface of. So prayer is actually how you walk with God. And here's my takeaway, the thing that hit me so hard, and I feel really broken by it, but it's like worth saying, is that I'm guessing the amount that you pray is probably the amount that you are formed by God. Sorry to be ruthless. The amount that I pray, it's small, you guys. It's got to be way more. But I really think the amount that I'm praying is the amount that I'm letting God actually form me. Because when I'm not praying, everything else gets to run the, run the show. Okay, Father, we bless your name. Um, this is the longest sermon of my life, and I don't know what just happened, but uh, it's probably the longest sermon of everyone else's life, too. I pray, Lord, that it was helpful. But I also do pray, Lord, that you wake us up to prayer. Pray that we could wait upon you, like painfully, like that I could sit by my bedside and not make excuses to get up and leave, but I could sit there and wait on you every morning. I pray that in the car, like there's a sense of wanting you, longing you. I pray you'd shape us as a congregation. And I thank you, Lord, for literally the mountains and mountains of prayer that we already stand upon. Who knows what grandma 70 years ago prayed a prayer or what patriarch 3,000 years ago prayed a prayer that is being answered right now in our lives today. And who knows what our prayers will create in a year and in 10 years and in a 1,000 years, Lord. The things that you are doing through your people. It is glorious. This is so great. So, Lord, we stand here as people dearly loved, not because of our righteousness, but because of yours. We say thank you, God. And in Jesus' name we all said amen.
Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this table, asking that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon your gifts of bread and cup. The bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion and the body of Christ. And by your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body in the world. We pray for your world, that you would lead the nations in the way of justice and goodwill. Give comfort and relief to those who struggle for their daily physical bread. For those right now in war-torn cities where the prince, the power of Persia, is still active. For the sick, especially those known to us, Bill Birch, Louise Worcester, Musette Lewis, Bob, and Marsha Foote. Lord, strengthen us to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all the ages we'll feast with you at your table in glory. Because through Christ all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in your church now and forever. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The cup of salvation poured out for us. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament. 